Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Tetsushi oh, Sanobi. Pleasure. Thank you, Tetsushi Sanobi, who thank is Dean of the Asia Development Bank Institute over in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Japanese markets are closed today for a public holiday, but in South Korea, the Cosby is down a quarter of a percent. In Australia, the ASX 200 is off about half a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open on the upside, about a third of a percent firmer later on this morning. And the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $41.79 a barrel. And gold is rallying a little bit here in Asian trading at $1,918 an ounce. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3 for Back Chats. Danny Gittings and Ada Wong uh, will be presenting the programme this morning. The weather forecast for today, sunny intervals and isolated showers. The maximum temperature is going to be about 31 degrees today with sunny intervals and a few showers in the next couple of days. Slightly cooler on Friday morning. The temperature right now is 28 degrees and it's 85% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A logistics professor says Cathay Pacific has a good future ahead despite having almost no air traffic and passengers. Over the weekend, its flights from Kuala Lumpur were banned for two weeks because of a cluster of coronavirus cases on board. Akim Cherney from Polytechnic University's Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies says the airline is in an especially difficult situation because unlike carriers in the United States or Europe, all of Cathay's flights are international and not domestic and therefore affected by travel bans because of the pandemic. But he says Cathay is in a region of strong growth. Hong Kong, the Asia-Pacific region is certainly still a region with, or will remain a region with a very strong growth. And there is the Greater Bay Area, one of the most dynamic regions in the world. So uh, I would say for Hong Kong and Cathay Pacific, you know, despite all these changes, there is a good future ahead. But again, the most important at the moment is really just simply to survive. The U.S. industrial giant General Electric says it plans to stop making new coal-fired power plants. The company will focus instead on renewable energy and power generation. Here's the BBC's Michelle Fleury. General Electric said it will no longer build new coal-fueled power plants. Instead, it wants to concentrate on gas turbines and renewable energy equipment. The decision may lead to the sale of certain assets and have an impact on jobs. The exit from coal marks a dramatic U-turn for GE. A few years ago, it bought Alstom's power business for nearly $10 billion. The deal proved to be a disaster for the company, which is struggling with too much debt and shrinking profits. Its shares were down more than 8% in midday trading. The government in Ecuador says six provinces have been affected by ash from a volcano in the Amazon, which has been active since last year. Around 800 square kilometres of land has been contaminated. Here's the BBC's Candice Peart. Ecuador's Sangue volcano is the most active in the country, having been erupting continuously for decades. On Sunday, several violent explosions were heard and a large ash cloud rose 10 kilometres up into the skies above its crater. The eruption deposited a fine layer of ash across Ecuador's central Andean region, while the international airport in the port city of Guayaquil was forced to close for several hours. The government has dispatched food and animal rations along with water pumps to help clean up crops and fields in the worst hit areas. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Danny. On today's show, can judges stay out of politics? As Hong Kong faces its first judicial resignation, reportedly because of the national security law. We'll be asking how far are judges being drawn into the political fray, both here and in the United States. Australian judge James Spiegelman told Australia's national broadcaster that he quit Hong Kong's quarter final appeal because of the national security law. And former director of public prosecutions Grenville Cross says he fears overseas governments may pressure other foreign judges to follow suit. So will other foreign judges follow Justice Spiegelman out the door? And if they do, what would this mean for Hong Kong's judicial system? Can judges really avoid being caught up in a politicized environment, both here in the U- and in the U.S., or an ugly battle over who will replace former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Ginsburg is already underway, only a few days after her death. Let us know your thoughts on judges and politics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at RTHK on HK. That's backchat at RTHK on HK. Or give us a call. The number there, 233 88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us for the first half of the show this morning, we have Grenville Cross, former Director of Public Prosecutions, uh, Professor John Burns, Emeritus Pro- and, and Honorary Professor, Department of Politics and Public Administration, and Gladys Lee Barrister. And we want to hear from you, of course. We already got some um, emails coming in on the topic of today's show. Let me just briefly go to a couple before we uh, go to our guests. Bowen writing an uh, email titled Differences Between the Systems of the US and Hong Kong. With the equivalent of a written constitution and what it entails, meaning executive actions and legislation have to comply with the provisions and standards incorporated therein, Hong Kong's judiciary is given a more important political role compared to previously. But it does not follow that judges are necessarily, still less expected to be, swayed by political considerations in reaching their decisions. The rule of law means they should not be and are not seen to be so swayed, which does not, however, mean they're oblivious of political realities, including the limits of their authority. Whether any organ of government needs to be politicised depends on the authority as well as the level of authority it's given. An important point about Hong Kong's legal system is we do not have a pure system of constitutional supremacy, as the US does. In the US, decisions by the US Supreme Court on the constitutionality of statutes are final. Here, the final interpretation of the basic law rests with the National People's Congress Standing Committee, which is itself politicised, being a political as opposed to a judicial body preoccupied with legal considerations. Because of this crucial distinction, the politicization appointment of judges of the top court, which is neutral in the US, is inapplicable in Hong Kong, as is also inapplicable in other common law jurisdictions, like UK and Canada, which also do not follow the model of constitutional supremacy to extend its practice in the US. And one more for the moment. Martin writes, Interesting that Australian Judge James Spiegelman resigned from the Court of Final Appeal, citing Hong Kong's national security law, to Australian broadcaster ABC. Perhaps he prefers his home country, Australia, over Hong Kong, where they have far more draconian national security law than in Hong Kong, according to the Australian Law Council, where they can raid media offices with impunity, spy on local citizens and foreign diplomats, and where government and police are in general far more authoritarian than in Hong Kong? Or is there any truth 
to Grenville Cross's claim. The so-called Five Eyes English-speaking nations have been pressurising the foreign judges to quit Hong Kong. Thank you very much for that email from Martin. And we do indeed have Grenville Cross with us. Grenville Cross, uh, former director of public prosecution. Good morning, Mr Cross. Welcome back to Back Chat. Yes, morning. Now, you've been quoted in the South China Morning Post and uh, our listener just there picking up on it, saying that um, you suspect that these judges are not deciding, or only one so far, but judges are not deciding to quit the Court of Final Appeal by themselves. Foreign governments are putting pressure on them. Well, this is pure speculation on my part. I didn't actually say that was happening. I said this is something that uh, could be happening, given the uh, stance that has been adopted by various governments to, towards Hong Kong. And well, they, they quote you here saying you expect other members to, of the Five Eyes uh, Intelligence Alliance to pressure their citizens to quit the Court of Final Appeal. Well, that's uh, certainly a real possibility. Uh, but uh, whether that's happened in the case of Judge Jeff Spiegelman, uh, only he will know, which is why I very much hope that at some point he will clear the air. Uh, but you, so you, you think that basically there is, whether or not in this particular case it, uh, uh, politics is behind uh, Spiegelman's resignation, you think there is politics at work more generally in terms of um, who may leave the court of final appeal? Well, I mean, I see, I see the... Uh, I mean, you only have to look at the fairly hostile actions which the Australian government has taken uh, against Hong Kong over the last three or four months or so uh, in order to see uh, where, where they're coming from. I mean, they've imposed... Uh, a very uh, high travel advisory. They've uh, effectively advised people to be very careful if they come to Hong Kong because they might end up being arrested under national security law uh, and even whisked away to the mainland for trial. They've even told the 100,000-odd uh, Australians who live in Hong Kong that if they have concerns about the, uh, Austra the, uh, the national security law, they should consider packing their bags and going back uh, to Australia. They've urged uh, uh, Hong Kong businesses to consider relocating uh, to Australia. So there's clearly a campaign going on to try and harm Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, my view is that uh, uh, this could well be part of that. And that, uh, I mean, we've seen as well, I should, of course, mention that they've also suspended the, the extradition arrangement between Australia and Hong Kong, which will undermine uh, criminal justice here. So it, it, it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that they would also at some point uh, urge uh, uh, Australian judges to, to consider their positions on the Court of Final Appeal. Uh, and indeed, this has been happening in Canada, I see. that In, in, in July, after the national security law was passed, uh, a number of figures, uh, mainly retired figures, it has to be said, but also including some members of Parliament, uh, asked uh, Justice Beverly McLachlan, the former Chief Justice there, to consider her position uh, on, the, on the Court of Final Appeal. Uh, and we've seen the noises as well coming out of London, uh, as soon as the uh, news about Judge uh, Spiegelman was, was revealed uh, last week, uh, Sir Ian Duncan Smith, who's the former leader of the British Conservative Party, immediately rushed out a statement saying that uh, uh, it was necessary for all the Commonwealth uh, countries to, to review uh, the position of their judges in the uh, Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal. And indeed, the, the British, long, long before the national security law was even enacted last November, the, the British uh, House of Commons Foreign Affairs Committee uh, raised the same point uh, and urged the British government to uh, review the position of not only uh, of, of British judges in the Court of Final Appeal, uh, and not only to do that, but to do it in conjunction with the other Commonwealth countries which send uh, uh, judges to sit in the Court of Final Appeal. So this campaign has actually been uh, underway for some time. Uh, and my concern is that... Uh, the, the, the Judge Spiegelman instance might lend momentum to that campaign. OK, well, also with us is Gladys Lee, barrister. Good morning, Miss Lee. Welcome to Back Chat. Gladys Lee? 
Okay, we'll, we'll come back to uh, we'll come back to Gladys Lee. Also with us, uh, Professor John Burns, uh, Professor John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor, Department of Political uh, Politics and Public Administration, Hong Kong U. Uh, good morning, Professor Burns. Okay, obviously not. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> good morning, Professor Burns. <laughs> Professor Burns, um, have you been listening to Grenville Cross uh, talking about the the idea, according to him, that there may be political factors at work in terms of um, pressure on Hong Kong judges to, to quit the court of final appeal? Oh, he speculated about this. I agree that this is reasonable speculation. So, as he said, we do not know. They haven't actually... Uh, said what they, uh, the reason, they haven't actually given the reasons. If the reason that Judge Spiegelman gave to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, in which he cited the content of the national security law, we are told, if that is correct, then it is to a certain extent understandable. Did you want to expand why you'd say it's to a certain extent understandable? Well, because um, the, we now have a law drafted by the Chinese Communist Party and what the law means and how the law is interpreted is entirely a party matter. I mean, you talked about the Standing Committee of the NPC. That's true, but they take instructions from the Central Committee and the Politburo. So... Um, I think that I agree that uh, it is a political matter, and so this is, but you'd expect that, I guess, because I'm a professor of politics. Um, and so... Uh, Sorry to interrupt I mean, you, I, but... I look I, at it from that Professor Burns, how, how would that, um, how would this uh, affect the reputation of the Court of Final Appeal and the judiciary uh, in general? So I think the question here is to what extent judges are involved in politics. And I think that the issue is how do you understand politics? And I understand it broadly. Um, judges are asked to resolve conflict over interests. And insofar as they're, insofar as they're doing that, these are political issues. These are social issues. We've been told that, um, you know, they decide based on the law, but it isn't always clear what the law means. So when there is doubt about what the law means, then, of course, the party is the final arbiter. So, I mean, it's as simple as that. And, yes, I agree that um, this, the entire episode brings raises questions about credibility credibility of the Hong Kong government, I would say. That is to say, those people that speak out about this and that parts of the basic law have really no competence to say so. And that's precisely because what it means is determined by the party, unless they're members of the Hong Kong Party Committee, which they have not so far declared. They really don't know what they what they're talking about. 
<laughs> but Professor Professor Burns, um, we're talking mostly about uh, Hong Kong at the uh, in the first half of the program. But you could say, and we'll move on to the US in the second half of the program. You can say that uh, it really it's uh, this is reflects the. Um, and the fact that judges can't stay out of politics anywhere in the world, and you see this in um, you see this in a very different context in the U.S. right now. Yes, yes, I agree because I mean you look at the uh, contentious social issues and political issues that judges um, are asked to resolve, and they because they involve conflict, especially issues that involve conflicting values and conflicting interests in a community, and we see these kinds of issues coming before courts all the time. So it's in that sense that it's uh, impossible, I would say, for judges to um, stay out. I mean, if the law is clearly written, then they have some clothes to hide the naked fact that it's a political process. But if it's not clearly written, and of course they, they through interpretation, change the law. I mean, and this is, this is also a political act. Okay, we're also joined by uh, Barrister Gladys Lee. Good morning, uh, Miss Lee. Good well, we've had a succession of guests immediately before you, uh, Grenville Cross, uh, former director of public prosecution, still with us, and Professor John Burns, uh, both really saying that um, politics in, comes into things the judiciary do pretty much inevitably. Do you agree? Well, well in, in a general sense, yes, I do agree. I think it's, it is obvious that judges um, may have to deal with uh, sensitive issues which divide the community um, on which strong views strong opposing views are held. But the judge's duty, and as RBG so trenchantly observed in one of her last interviews at the end of last year, when she received the Bergwin Prize, um, judges are there to be impartial. And if they are not impartial, they should be uh, step down from office. And she said it in the context of the impeachment trial uh, before the U.S. Senate of Donald Trump, where senators had expressed their view, even before the matter had reached the Senate, as to what the outcome should be. And she said, it's Congress, it's the House of Representatives that presents the indictment and it's the Senate who are the triers. And if the triers have already expressed their opinion, then they are not being impartial. Now, the judge's absolute duty is to be impartial. Is it possible to expect judges not to have personal views about certain issues that divide the community? But they have to put those views aside and judge according to law and the facts. So um, I, I think it's quite wrong to um, necessarily assume that somebody like Spiegelman has been put under any kind of pressure, because even if he has, I think it is entirely a personal decision. I think if you are facing a, con a, a totalitarian government, you may well feel that rather than be um, uh, a mouthpiece 
for a totalitarian government or to make very unpalatable decisions that your conscience will not allow you to make, then you would rather step down. That's the honourable thing to do. You use so, that term totalitarian government is, twice. Do you think we have a totalitarian government in Hong Kong? I, you can, I have a view and you can have your own view, all right? I, I'm, I'm just saying that the system in Hong Kong was supposed to be, yes, one country, two systems. And I think, again, we can all make a judgment as to whether we are now experiencing one country, one system or one country, two systems. And in that kind of polarized environment, when the chief executive has expressed clear views on certain matters which are shortly to be adjudicated in, in the court's final appeal, then um, we can see which way the wind is blowing very clearly. She is not an expert. These are legal issues under the basic law, which the judges have, um, have sworn an oath to uphold. Right. So is there a reason to expect a ripple effect of resignation? I have no idea, judges? but I am saying that this is a personal decision by any particular judge. And if you look at Spiegelman's record, I think he is a man of integrity. True, it is that he has always been a, a, a staunch protector of, of human rights. So I think you can leave um, it to your own conclusion. He has said, without any elaboration, that it's uh, in relation to the national security law. And if he chooses to say no more, I would only assume that he is a man who is acting according to his conscience and not leap to any other conclusion. OK, well, let's, um, let's go back to Grenville Cross. And Grenville Cross, let me uh, uh, read to you a email that's just uh, come in from one of our listeners, Matthew, fairly uh, uh, vigorous email, but that's part of the uh, flow in, in back chat. He says, Grenville Cross, exactly what evidence or fact do you have for suggesting Justice Spiegelman was pressured to resign by the Australian government? From your opening remarks, it sounds like you have absolutely nothing to support your potentially slanderous assertion and are literally making stuff up in order to support your own political position and personal interests. You'll need to do much better if you expect to be persuasive to a broader, informed audience beyond the standard party-loyal patriots who produce those kind of arguments. Grenville Cross? Uh, well, I do have no evidence, but I'm simply saying that uh, we, <laughs> this is the sort of thing that could happen uh, if there is a, an international campaign uh, to harm Hong Kong. As I say, uh, Australia and various other countries have already suspended their extradition arrangements with Hong Kong. Uh, Australia has uh, advised its citizens uh, not to come to Hong Kong because they could face prosecution uh, under the national security law. So this is the sort of thing that could happen. Uh, and that's precisely why I suggested that it would be very helpful uh, if at some point uh, Judge Spiegelman would uh, clear the air on this point uh, and let us know uh, a bit more uh, about his resignation. Of course, he, he, uh, from what we hear, he didn't explain the reasons for his, uh, his resignation to, the, uh, to the, the chief executive or the Hong Kong authorities. But, uh, but so well, why, why should he be required uh, to, uh, to say this uh, openly? But could, could I make a, another point? It, in my view, it's a great pity that the judge uh, has resigned because uh, the Court of Final Appeal will shortly be called upon, presumably in various cases, to develop the jurisprudence in relation to the national security law. Uh, and he would have been able, I would have thought, to make a, a useful contribution uh, to, to, that, uh, to that development. Uh, obviously, if uh, there were events after that of which he disapproved or he felt that he'd been unable,
way, then that may have given him some ground for resignation. But to simply, to simply resign before uh, any cases have come up uh, seems to be a, a bit premature. And indeed, of course, <laughs> national security laws, uh, very few cases are, are likely to come up in the immediate future. Uh, and even if uh, Judge Speedman had been asked to sit on any of those cases, if he really felt that he couldn't uh, uh, appropriately sit on, on the court on that occasion, uh, he could have uh, simply recused himself uh, rather than uh, taking a dramatic step of, with, of withdrawing from the court uh, entirely uh, and depriving it of his experience. OK, well, the email's continuing to come in from our listeners uh, addressed at Grenville Cross. Uh, let's read another one, and then we'll give Mr Cross a, a chance to respond if he wishes. Uh, Alan says, Grenville Cross has been spreading a totally unfounded conspiracy theory. The Five Eyes told the judge to resign. He admits he has no evidence at all, yet he put it in the headlines. You're talking about it. Now it's believed and spread by the United Front Stooges. This is pure propaganda. It's the same playbook C.Y. Lung used when he asserted repeatedly that the protests going back to 2014 were all inspired by foreign black hands. No evidence at all ever. Yet this was eventually a pretext for the national security law. Also, the Wu Mao email saying Australia's security laws are more onerous than Hong Kong. There are abuses. But only a handful of charges have been made. No one has been disappeared and held incommunicado. Not even Chinese who are investigated despite great offence taken by China. No one was arrested. This law has only been used for actual security-related issues, like leaks about military activity in Afghanistan. Not to quell street protests for democracy, not for waving a banner, not for singing a song. The problem with security laws is when they are used for political purposes by defining any opposition to the party in power sedition, for instance. That from Alan. Now, Grenville Cross, your, your comments seem to be arousing some strong reaction among some of our listeners. Well, this is precisely why I say it's a pity that uh, Judge Spiegelman didn't uh, explain uh, to the uh, chief executive his reasons for resigning. Obviously, when that happens, uh, there will be speculation. Uh, but as I keep repeating, we have seen sustained animus towards uh, uh, Hong Kong from Australian and other governments. Uh, and given that the British uh, House of Commons Foreign Affairs Committee has previously called for the position of Hong Kong judges to be reviewed. Given that the former leader of the Conservative Party has uh, just called for the uh, position of British judges uh, and indeed Commonwealth judges on the Court of Final Appeal to be reviewed, we can see the momentum is building up. Uh, and as I said at the outset, uh, even uh, Justice uh, McLachlan in Canada has, had, uh, has received calls from various politicians uh, to, to withdraw from the Court of Final Appeal uh, as well. So that momentum is clearly building up. Uh, and uh, it wouldn't be uh, surprising at all if at some point uh, judges were urged to consider their positions by their greatest government. Would it be a disaster that, for Hong Kong if it lost its overseas judges on the Court of Final Appeal? Uh, well, I think it would. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the, uh, the, the presence of uh, the, the expertise of these overseas judges greatly enriches the, the quality of the judgments uh, which are given uh, and enhances their, uh, the, the, uh, their, their stature uh, internationally. And indeed, the, the judgments are often quoted uh, in, in foreign jurisdictions. So it would be a great pity, but I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, so far as we can tell, the Judge Spiegelman case is, is a one-off and no other judges uh, seem to be contemplating following suit. Uh, let's give Professor John Burns a chance to come back in, because he has to go in a couple of minutes. Um, Professor Burns, are we perhaps moving towards an era where there are going to be less foreign judges in Hong Kong? I agree. I think that that's entirely possible. Of course, you know, um, I would love to think that the judges will stay and that they will, and that we will benefit from their expertise and all of this kind of thing, which I think is would be uh, 
a fabulous outcome, but I am very pessimistic about this, and I believe that our one country, two systems has been dramatically eroded. There's actually been a regime change in 2019-2020, and we are much more like a mainland city than um, different, I would, I would say. So yes, it would be it, it would it would not be good. Um, is it also because of the Hong Kong government's current claim that there is no separation of powers, um, which has affected how foreign judges see our judicial system? Uh, yes, of course. I think that this it may be related to that. So, I mean, what you see is the party interprets what you know wh what these laws mean, what the constitution means, and they lay it down, and then that's it accept it or, or if you don't accept it then uh, there's really no other recourse okay thank you very much uh, we're going to say goodbye to uh, professor john burns and uh, grenville cross for the moment uh, do stay with us we're continuing the discussion after nine o'clock and also broadening it out uh, gladys lee mentioned uh, briefly the um, uh, the death of uh, Justice Ruth Ginsburg in the U.S. Supreme Court and, of course, a battle already shaping up in, uh, in the U.S. and becoming a major election issue about who might replace her on the U.S. Supreme Court, um, with the Democrats and Republicans both having their own ideas about that. Uh, if you have any thoughts uh, on either of these topics or more generally on the issue of um, judges in politics and can judges really stay out of politics, then do send us an email at backchat at rthk.hk, backchat at rthk.hk. And the several emails come in already we'll get to those after the news you can also of course leave a message on our facebook page and there's a message there on this topic from uh, tc uh, back chat on rthk radio free or give us a call of course 233 the weather forecast sunny intervals isolated showers the maximum temperature will be 31 degrees currently 28 degrees we'll be back in three minutes admittedly from very high levels you're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Ada Wong. In the second half of the show, we're continuing our discussion about judges in politics, um, looking both at developments here in Hong Kong, where we've had a... Uh, foreign non-permanent justice on the Court of Final Appeal, Australian judge James Spiegelman, um, who's resigned and told Australia's national broadcaster that it was because of the national security law. But also broadening our discussion to look more, rather more at developments in the US, where Justice Ruth Ginsburg died on Friday and has already set off a major political battle, which is fast becoming one of the main issues of the US election over whether she should be replaced by the uh, Republican majority, who currently, of course, hold both the presidency and the Senate, or whether there should be a delay to wait for the outcome of the US presidential elections. If you have any thoughts on either of these topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Our guests in the uh, second half of the, the show are uh, still with us, uh, Barrister Gladys Lee, and we're also now joined by Michael Davis. Michael Davis, Global Fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre in Washington, and of course, well known here as a former professor of law at the University of Hong Kong. Also, uh, David Zweig. Uh, emeritus Professor at the, the Division of Social Science at uh, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited. Uh, before I go to our guests, uh, let's try, uh, let's get, bring in some emails from listeners. Uh, first, a uh, couple on uh, other topics. Uh, Kenny 
uh, has a beef to pick with uh, Professor Benjamin Cowlin, who is often on the uh, RTHK. He said, last week I complained about Backchat repeatedly inviting Benjamin Cowlin on the show, given he simply rehashes his warnings of the looming fourth and fifth waves of COVID. If you listen to the RTHK news at the top of the hour for the last 12 hours, in which Cowling is given ample airtime, you'll get my drift. I'm all in favour of experts providing value-added service and insights into how we can best tackle COVID. But if they've nothing new to say, don't bother. Uh, Andrew sending a follow-up message um, to a, quite a, a previous email saying, well, are, are people really leaving because of the national security law? He says, this was a serious question. People in media keep reporting on it, and a number of countries are apparently making plans for Hong Kongers to be able to enter as refugees. I don't believe a word of it. Anyone who has travelled will know there are very few places better than Hong Kong. Remember how many Americans said they would leave if Trump was elected? None did. Time for people to stand up and support their opinion with facts. Uh, and on the topic of a previous uh, Backchat show, which was talking about uh, the uh, development on Lantau, uh, Mary says, on your programme it was noticeable that Ryan Ip of our Hong Kong Foundation has changed tack. In 2007, when propagating its Lantau vision, our Hong Kong Foundation estimated that Hong Kong would require more than 1.26 million units of housing over the next 30 years. The latest census data indicates the population will increase by a mere half million in the next two decades. has blown this line. The actual projected increase translates into about 300,000 units. So now the tune has changed. It's all about larger units. But Mr. Ip did not sound convincing. Perhaps our Hong Kong Foundation does not read town planning applications. Developers, many of its own members, regularly submit plans to increase the number of units in already approved plans. Some plans have been through three or more rounds with incrementally more units of smaller size objective. To date, there's not been a single application to increase the size and reduce the number of units. It's all about affordability. You can uh, fool some of the people some of the time, and our Hong Kong Foundation's box of tricks is almost empty. A uh, number of uh, further emails, um, some of them more closely related to, to today's topic. Uh, Tom says, I find the Hong Kong protesters' passionate online love affair with Trump and Mike Pompeo and all forms of US Republican partiness an endless foundation of irony. Trump is now asking for $5 billion from the TikTok shakedown to be allocated to the 1776 project to promote patriotic education. And if a Conservative Chief Justice is appointed, the government may soon have the mandate for far more government control of private life. Pregnancy may soon be a religious issue under the government's control. Whenever the concept or broad concept of freedom comes up, Americans always seem to steer the conversation towards people's ability to whine loud, loudly about Republicans and Democrats. And let's not really talk about anything else especially the rights of minorities and foreign nationals to live safely in our country. John, in the email titled Civil Rights in Australia, says, what aboutism is the first refuge of pro-establishment commentators like your correspondent Martin this morning? That's a reference to an early email I read out in the first half of the programme. Your correspondent Martin this morning, who took a discussion about the rule of law and immediately twisted it into a commentary about Australia's laws. The biggest difference, Martin, is that Australia's laws are enacted by governments where there is alternation in power and voters decide who is in and who is not and who is out. 
This is manifestly not the case and never will be, I fear, in Hong Kong, much less in China, where, after all, only one party is allowed to exist at all and no one is permitted to challenge the leadership. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, yes, Matthew, uh, following up on Grenville, Grenville Cross is now gone, but Grenville Cross uh, was here in the first half of the show and Grenville Cross talking about whether judges are coming under uh, political pressure to resign from the Court of Final Appeal. Matthew, in a follow-up, says, Grenville Cross, you sound like you are backpedalling. How could you possibly consider it responsible behaviour to spread conspiracy theories for which you admit you have no evidence? Justice Spiegelman has clearly stated his resignation is related to national security law. What more do you need to know? This makes Justice Spiegelman no different than anyone else in Hong Kong, uh, as except for the, the patriots you are so desperately trying to impress. Every single one of us is gravely concerned and disappointed with this law. What don't you get? And of course, Grenville Cross no longer is able to respond. Uh, lastly, uh, for the uh, moment, uh, TC on Facebook talking about the broader topic of today's show, judges and politics. Uh, TC says, I think the topic posed today is similar to the one the Hong Kong Canadian singer Ivana Wong stumbled upon many years ago when she was tired of politics. Anything a government or someone with power such as a CEO does is political by nature. It's almost impossible to avoid politics in almost every aspect of life anywhere in the world. In regard to politics and the judiciary, I think it's naive to think judges above politics. In Hong Kong and the United States, members of the judicial branch are nominated by the executive branch and the legislative branch confirms or rejects that choice. Now, it's unsurprising to think both heads of government will nominate someone ideologically similar to them. Members of the legislative branch will confirm or reject the candidate based on the political positions. Most importantly, members of the judiciary anywhere in the world make judgments passed on laws based on laws passed by the government. Every judgment they make has the potential for huge political consequences. And he mentions a number of cases in the United States in that context. There's nothing political about the entire process. Uh, thank you very much to our listeners, and please do keep those uh, emails coming. Yes, um, let's go to David Strike first, uh, Professor David Strike, um, you know, in this next uh, half of our show. Good morning. Uh, good, hey, morning. Oh, uh, good night, David. <laughs> good evening. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the passing away of uh, Justice Ruth Ginsburg has um, been turned into a major election issue in the United States. How, how, how do you see that from where you are? Well, um, it's, it's interesting that, in fact, um, uh, in her passing, you know, she's been, she, I was thinking about all the different levels of her career, um, you know, from when she was younger and a lawyer and, and, and uh, a judge and then a Supreme Court judge. And in fact, the fifth, probably the fifth moment of her career is in, in her passing um, uh, in, because she's really created this uh, crisis, I think. And so there's a couple of ways you can think about it. You can think about one way is she could she have avoided this crisis? I mean, I've, I've been reading some articles who are saying um, that she was encouraged in 2010 to step down. Uh, then she was encouraged in 2013 to step down for her health while Obama was still in good position to appoint a new judge. Uh, and uh, she made the decision that she wanted to stay in and hang in there. Um, and so to a certain extent, this is a crisis of her own making. 
But Professor Svalik, what what kind of we look? Many people not so familiar with the U.S. system, looking at it from afar. What kind of system is it where it, it depends on someone dies, the political balance of a court, and that um, you could have people desperately hanging on, as presumably Justice Ginsburg was, just because well, of the legacy. I mean, people from the rest of the world Michael, must look at this. You, and, you should ask Mike these questions <laughs> about the rules of the court. I mean, you can stay till till you die. I mean, that's the whole thing. And so that's part of what makes this all so political, is that Trump has had the chance to put in two people. This would be three, and he can put in people who are quite young, so he could swing the court. The court would now go six to three uh, if he can put the person uh, a person in. It will go six to three in terms of conservative judges, which means that for the next 20, 20 years, um, uh, the right wing uh, and uh, sort of anti-liberal perspective, conservative, anti-liberal perspective, will dominate. And so in that sense, you know, the four years of Trump already was a huge threat to liberal America, right? The liberal tradition in America, uh, human you know, civil rights, black rights, women's rights, uh, affirmative action, all these things that Trump has been railing against. And now he, in fact, um, is given the chance to consolidate uh, the anti-liberal, the uh, conservative uh, view uh, in the courts. And so the number of issues uh, that will now be up for grabs is, is astounding. You know, um, the, the number of cases, the first one is Obamacare. And for many people, it's um, uh, the whole question of pre, pre-existing conditions, right? So anybody who was sick uh, who has been sick could won't be able to get insurance if Obamacare is overthrown. My son has a heart condition. Hey, we lose we lose health care coverage. Twenty twenty million people have been covered who weren't weren't covered before because of Obamacare because of the way it was structured. So twenty million people, the day that they ban Obamacare, will go off of their health insurance in the midst of a pandemic. And also, if you think of all the people who have gotten sick from COVID. Uh, get me going on this because of President Trump's mishandling of the situation. He's created probably tens of thousands, if not more, of people or maybe million people who will now have some kind of pre-existing condition. So if this goes through, that's a real problem. Let okay. me just say one more thing. Sure, Let me ahead. just say one more thing, which is, so then, then you ask the question about what's the politics of this. Well, the politics are quite complex, right? The simple way that this becomes nothing, no politics at all, is basically that the Senate, Mitch McConnell, within 40 days, they put through a judge, they have a vote, and you have a new judge. That's the simple thing, right? And he's is there time to do, do this, David? Is there time? Well, there's a debate. I mean, I, uh, I was listening to, to um, some reports. It usually takes 60 to 80 days. The record normal time period is 60 to 80 days to get a judge through. But Mitch McConnell can try and push this through in 40 days if he can figure out a way to do it. There's no more, um, uh, you can't uh, drag it out anymore. The, there, there's, the, there's almost nothing that the Democrats can do on that. The big question then is if he doesn't get it right where it becomes really interesting, and maybe some, I'll, I'll be quiet after this, though I tend not to. Um, uh, it, the really interesting thing is if they don't get it through and then Trump loses the election, right? And then it gets really interesting, and then it gets even more interesting if the Republicans lose the Senate, right? And this whole thing could hurt them to a certain extent. So if the election goes against the Republicans, then they've got to decide, do they try and push through 
a conservative judge when clearly the people of the United States have spoken that they don't want the conservatives in power anymore. And I'll be quiet. Oh, well, don't no, please stay with us. Uh, but uh, you mentioned yeah, Professor, Professor Michael uh, Professor Michael Davis, who's with us. Now, I introduced Professor Michael Davis uh, before as a uh, global fellow, Woodrow Wilson in- International Center in Washington, former professor of law at University of Hong Kong. An email was already coming from a listener criticizing us for not talking about all of Professor Michael Davis's affiliations. And Professor Davis has had many affiliations over the years. So let me read that email out first. And then, uh, Professor Davis, I'll go to you. And you're welcome to respond to this email. And also, please talk generally about the, these issues involving judges in Hong Kong and the US. Martin, in an email, says, on today's news, there's actually a reference to um, RTHK news programs. On today's news, RTHK cites Professor Michael Davis as a legal expert. What RTHK conveniently left out and would be important to mention for listeners is Michael Davis is not just a former law professor at Hong Kong U. He was also working for the National Endowment for Democracy, one of the U.S. regime change organizations. In addition, Michael Davis is a global fellow at the conservative U.S. government-funded Woodrow Wilson International Center. That's the one we did mention. Woodrow Wilson International Center and sits on the advisory board on the anti-China Washington-based Hong Kong Democracy Council which states in its mission statement to preserve the U.S.'s own political and economic interest in Hong Kong. Other members of the Hong Kong Democracy Council include Nathan Law, and the rest of the Hong Kong Democracy Council's advisory board is made up of members of the NED, Open Society Foundation of Anti-Communist Billionaire George Soros, the Council on Foreign Relations and Freedom House. Thank you, Martin. Sounds like someone's been doing a lot of research on you, Professor Davis. Michael Davis, over to you. Wow, this is, this is such an amazing uh, story. I thought we were going to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but... You uh, still can. The, the National Endowment... Yeah, the, well, the National Endowment for Democracy... I guess I should respond to it. I, I was a fellow... I wouldn't if I were you, Michael. Okay, yeah. go, on, go on, Michael. Yeah. Please. Yes, please continue. And, and uh, of course... The Woodrow Wilson Center is not a conservative think tank. It's Woodrow Wilson was very much an internationalist. So, so it's a kind of a think tank on the other side of the political spectrum. And I am on the advisory board of the Hong Kong Democracy Council. So they got that right. I'm also currently a visiting professor at the University of Hong Kong Faculty of Law. So I do quite a number of things. Uh, and... Uh, I'm proud of all of them, so that I'll say more about that. Okay, let's get back to the issues then, yes. Yes, Particularly, Michael Davis, from your experience both in um, Hong Kong and the U.S., can you draw any sort of parallels between the developments we're seeing, judges and the politics in in Hong Kong and in the U.S.? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, what's going on now, and I think David spelled it out very well, that the, the, the battle in the U.S. over the court is, is a battle over a kind of uh, conservative establishment versus uh, a more progressive views. And in Hong Kong, you have a similar kind of battle going on where the conservative establishment is putting pressure on the Hong Kong courts in many ways. The Chinese government in some ways leading the charge by uh, creating under the national security law the listing of judges that are allowed to hear the cases and, of course, you covered, as I understood from your comments in the first half hour, uh, the, uh, the uh, resignation of a, a judge who was concerned about that. So 
So the introduction of politics into the court in the United States Supreme Court and also in Hong Kong, uh, there's, there's a lot of parallel there. But the difference is that we have a reputation in, here in Hong Kong that judges are apolitical. We don't have this overtly political way of appointing judges in Hong Kong that you do in the U.S. Right, exactly. And, and I, I would not defend the U.S. system for appointing judges. I think it would be better, A, if they had limited terms so that we could turn them over over time and not, you know, have this uh, rather unseemly situation where someone, a death of a great justice is effectively ignored while we jump immediately into politics. Uh, but I think there's now more and more pressure on judges in Hong Kong. Uh, the criticisms that have been made uh, by uh, some uh, political figures, uh, I think especially Tony Kwok the other day, uh, specifically naming three magistrates that he disapproved of, uh, and this idea that listing judges that, would, that are agreeable uh, to Beijing in terms of who can hear these cases, not just in national security cases, but they're suggesting that should apply to cases on rioting and and sedition and so on. So the, the politics uh, is, that we're concerned about is entering also into Hong Kong, if not in the appointment process. We don't know whether even the appointment process may be captured by it eventually because the body that selects judges is also appointed. So eventually we don't know whether, whether that will happen. So far I haven't heard that that's happened. But uh, I am concerned about uh, how, you know, which judges will be approved of in Hong Kong and what the future of the judiciary will be like if this pressure continues. But can we say that Hong Kong has a long way to go? It's unimaginable in Hong Kong you'd have a situation like you do in the U.S. where judges are essentially expected to stake out what their positions are before they will even be appointed and that... um, we have prominent U.S. senators saying it's an absolute litmus test before they will vote for a new judge, that that judge must agree to overturn um, uh, court precedents on abortion and things like that. It's inconceivable you'd see that for judicial appointments in Hong Kong. Could, could, I, uh, raise, yes, exactly. could I raise a point here? Yes, please, Gladys The elephant in the room, which we ignore, is uh, the very clear uh, guide to judicial conduct, which prohibits any uh, member of the judiciary, that is, permanent members as opposed to part-time members of the judiciary, belonging to any political organization, all right? Now, um, can I ask you uh, all to try and name any person in Hong Kong who has owned up to being a member of the Communist Party? Well, you've opened a very interesting... I mean, of course, uh, members of the Communist Party in Hong Kong are not supposed to declare their affiliation, exactly, are they? So, exactly so. Um, and are, are you suggesting... Sorry, are you suggesting I, that the, the Judicial I've, Appointments Commission might be full of members of the I've Communist Party? I have no idea, all right? I'm just saying... I'm stating a fact. And very interestingly, when Christine Lowe wrote her first edition of the book The Chinese Communist Party in Hong Kong... In her introduction, she prefaced it with a question, time to come out, question mark. Well, that hasn't happened, all right? I'm just stating a fact, and we will never know whether or not there is any member of the judiciary who is a member of the Communist Party. Oh, well.
Thank um, you. And so I, I don't know why you assume that the process is not already politicised. We just don't know what the position is. So are, are, the, are the judges supposed to declare, uh, you know, b before they, they enter the judiciary? The, you know, there, there must be declarations Well, first of, of all, I think there is a, um, a thorough vetting done. But how trustworthy is that vetting now? Um, I, I know, for instance, there was one judge who was um, a member, not an active member, but a member of a, a political party, and he resigned his membership before Can I take going back to the bench. Just the, uh, yes, uh, Professor Zweig, David Zweig. Showing, showing their hand. I mean, Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was interviewed for the Supreme Court, one of the reasons she was nominated was she was nominated because she was seen to be a consensus. Uh, I went back and looked at some of the, you know, in, in preparation so I could be really good on back chat today. Um, uh, I went back and looked at, at some of the right you know, things about her, and she was seen to be a consensus builder. And as soon as she got, so this goes against the idea, back then you didn't have to lay out your cards and you could refuse to answer questions. Um, um, but then once she was uh, on the bench, she became the most outspoken person, partly because of the changing times in the U.S. and the changing makeup of the, of the Supreme Court, but she became you know, the, the center um, and was regularly writing critical opinions after the conservative uh, judges had uh, put forward a more conservative position. She, that's where she became most famous uh, in her, well, after doing, I mean, she was famous as a lawyer before becoming a judge, but also that's how she became so famous, which was she could, uh, uh, for being a dissenter, and yet, as, as Gladys says, you know, now in the U.S., you, or I forget who said it, Ada, that, you know, in the U.S., you've got to, you get selected when they know that you're going to overturn um, Roe v. Wade, you know, abortion rights, or your, your politics determine whether or not, to a certain extent, you get on the, on the, on the Supreme Court, um, not and in that sense, that's a much more political uh, sense. You know, it, it's uh, interesting. Can, can I comment here? Yes, please. It's interesting that Justice Roberts, the Chief Justice right now, who who was thought to also be a very reliable conservative, upon his appointment, has been trying to tilt a little bit the other way because I think he's right. concerned that the credibility and legitimacy of the Supreme Court is under threat if they're seen to be too political. So sometimes uh, justices that were presumably thought to be a reliable conservatives, I think even Earl Warren years ago, turned out to be very much uh, more progressive. And we don't know whether Roberts will be even more so if, if this court winds up with a six to three conservative majority. We don't know what they're going to do to salvage their reputation. But one of the things but even so, but even so, Michael, it would then be five four, right? That's the problem. Right. One, even if yeah, she swings, one, one it, things, if, with her death, yeah, one, can I it's five four. With her alive, it was four four, and he was the yeah. swing vote. Yeah, I I know. One of the things I think that some Democrats are now proposing is even court packing that they would, if they uh, capture both the Senate, the House, and the presidency that they may actually increase the number of justices uh, so that they can override this conservative majority. And this is something that FDR also uh, threatened to do at one time. Do you support, do you support that, Michael Davis? Do you support court packing? Yeah. 
do you support court packing yourself? Well, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, it's, I, I, I probably would if they wind up pushing this justice through, because I think the court will have no credibility at all if it has a six to three majority. And we're not talking just conservatives. We're talking some of the pretty extreme right-wing conservatives. And I think the United States Supreme Court's credibility as an institution is at stake. So there's going to be debates on this if, this, if, the, if McConnell does what he's threatening to do and pushes through this justice. He's the very person who said he couldn't consider a justice that was presented by Obama at the end of the Obama administration, which was nine months before the end of the administration, saying that it had to wait for the election to see who the American people wanted. So now suddenly he's completely changed his story. So it is a political crisis. It's a constitutional crisis if they proceed in this way. And I think there's going to be pushback. OK, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time, I'm afraid. But uh, thank you very much to our, our guest, uh, Gladys Lee, Barrister, who's been with us for, here for the start of the show. And joining us in the second half of the show, uh, uh, Professor David Zweig, Emeritus Professor at the Division of Social Science at University of Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited. You just heard uh, Professor Michael Davis. Uh, Professor Michael Davis, we introduced as Global Fellow at the Woodrow Wilson in, in International Centre in Washington, former Professor of Law at the University of Hong Kong. Of course, Professor um, Davis's affiliations then became a subject uh, that attracted an email from uh, Martin uh, criticising RTHK for not mentioning some of his other affiliations, which we read out in full. And there's now been a response to Martin from another listener saying... It was amusing to hear Martin's attempts to dox Professor Michael Davis by revealing, revealing in inverted commas here, Davis's already well-known affiliations and distorting the reputations of the National Endowment for Democracy and the Woodrow Wilson Centre. OK, Martin, now that we've established your principal devotion to knowing everyone's full background, let's hear about yours. Which CCP training centre are you affiliated with? Martin, if you want to respond, I'm afraid we'll have to read that out on tomorrow's show. Um, and that is all the time we've got for today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ada. Um, uh, Hugh will be back for Back Chat tomorrow. Do join us then. The weather forecast, sunny intervals and isolated showers. The maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Uh, currently 28 degrees. Relative humidity, 83%. A crane attached to a lorry should be lowered and returned to its stowed position after use. A poorly placed crane can pose a threat to other road users and may damage road facilities. Installing a warning system will help alert the driver if a crane isn't in its stowed position when the vehicle is in motion. The Transports Department reminds crane lorry drivers to ensure that their cranes are properly stowed before driving. The news at 9.31. A logistics professor says Cathay Pacific has a good future ahead despite having almost no air traffic and passengers. Akim Cherney from Polytechnic University says the airline is in a difficult situation because most of its flights are international and limited by travel bans. But it's in a region of strong growth in Asia Pacific and the Greater Bay Area. The World Health Organization says 156 countries have joined a global scheme for the common development and fair distribution of future vaccines against COVID-19. The United States and China haven't signed up, although Hong Kong has. The facility known as COVAX hopes to have 2 billion doses of vaccine available for global distribution by the end of next year.
And conservation experts say one in five species of maple tree are threatened with extinction. They're calling for urgent action, including storing seeds at a seed bank. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Tuesday. It's the Morning Brew, once again. Really cool to see gigs and exhibitions and all sorts of stuff with real people coming back. Long may that last. We're going to begin today at 10.10 by highlighting some recent artworks by 10 local art graduates in HK Forward 20. This thing's in its ninth year. It's curated and produced by gallery owner Katie Dottilly, who after 10 is going to tell you more. Very happy to support all this wicked local talent. Jared Watts with us after that for this week's Oz Report. He'll bring you some great Aussie music too, of course. And after 11, we're going to go and catch up with Dr. Marin Pierce. Today, he's going to be talking about circular fashion with Lauren from Redress. Now, there's a huge amount of clothing waste in Hong Kong, which is ironic when you think about the thousands of people here who can't really clothe their families properly. Or have you ever seen more than the occasional charity shop here? Now, in other countries, these places are considered gold mines. Oh, yeah. But secondhand tends to mean spent and unclean here. Well, Lauren's going to tell you how that can be changed. We will be on Facebook Live after 11. And after 12, off to St Kilda in Melbourne for our weekly chat with biz futurist Morris Misalowski. It's all about fuel and energy today. (laughs) 